Welcome to Character Development. I'm Kei and today I'm here with my friend Jess. Hey, I'm Jess, and I'm here with my friend Chris. Hello, I'm Chris, and we are joined today by our guest, Stephanie Rowe from Jules. And we're going to be talking about getting girls into STEM. Hi, I am Stephanie Rowe from Jules, and I'm excited to be here. I have a background in computer science and basically created Jules to try to solve the problem of getting more girls and women into technology. That's awesome. You and I have talked a little bit in the past. I don't think the other panelists have. Can you give us a little bit of a background of why you even started with Jules? Absolutely. So um, like I mentioned, my background is computer science. So I spent 15 years at a company called Accenture. I spent about three years doing identity management for the Transportation Security Administration and Homeland Security. And through all of my almost 20-year career in technology, I was very often the only woman at Conversion Weekend, as an example. And so I started to realize that the more and more that, you know, I always say, you know, software is eating the world and the more that technology comes into the, the critical jobs, the less women are participating in those. And so whether it was walking through the toy aisles, whether that's, you know, Target or Walmart would just literally make me crazy <laughs> because they are so gender divided. And I just started to realize that we are not giving girls the opportunity. And so that was really my inspiration for this was I wanted to build a company and I wanted to build a company that mattered and solved a problem. And this really comes from my own experiences and the challenges that I faced um, as a woman in tech. And the more that I researched it, the more I became very afraid of the fact that girls aren't going to have the same opportunities to get the best jobs going forward. And that was my idea was I want to try to mitigate that. So basically, it was coming from a place of my own personal challenges, and being fearful for where technology is going, the amount of STEM jobs and the fact that the numbers are going in the wrong direction for getting girls and women engaged in technology. That's I think I saw from your company description as well that you're focused on girls in the eight to 12 age bracket in particular. Is that right? That is correct. So I started the company from basically saying, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? Like, why are girls and women not engaging? And through a bunch of research, I kind of whittled my way down to the age range between eight and 12. And that was, I think, for two primary reasons. One, I thought it was a really good market opportunity. We're a startup. We are a for-profit social impact startup. We want to make money, but we also want to have impact. So that was, I thought, a good market opportunity because not many products exist to solve this problem. And secondly, it was because mindset is formed in this age range. And so when we look at what girls, their sense of identity, their mindset, if they have a fixed mindset or growth mindset starts to solidify in this period. And then the final thing was by age 13, girls are dropping out of their interest in STEM by 13. It's a major, you look at the data, it's like a major drop off point. So if you don't catch them before 13, it's really not impossible, but very difficult to get them back. So that's the reason for the 8 to 12 age range as our target. As a, a parent of a of a girl who is at the end, at the older end of that age range, I definitely feel like there's a big gap. It, there was a lot of kind of cutesy or extra girly things that she, as she'd gotten older, decided that that wasn't for her. She she didn't like that. That was that was too babyish or, or, you know, something along those lines. And so it would rule out some things that were really interesting, really cool. But her preferences didn't align, and I thought it was great that you're trying specifically to not have that happen <laughs> right. and, and also know how hard that is. Is there anything specific that you're doing to try to overcome that problem? 
specifically, we, and again, this all comes from, you know, my background is enterprise software, mostly in Homeland Security, interestingly enough. And so for me, I started from a year and a half, almost two years of straight up research. And so through all that research, we basically kind of operate to what I call our Jules formula. So all of our products, even when we do user testing, so anytime we engage with girls, we're operating to a formula that includes four things. And that is first and foremost, identity. So it's basically identity, vocabulary, skills, and tribe. And so what I feel like most products on the market really only address skills, which seems like that makes sense, right? So like we need to build skills, like people, girls, you know, need STEM skills. And I'm not saying those products are bad. I just think that they are insufficient because if you don't develop a sense of identity in that girl, um, meaning STEM types of activities, we need her to believe that those are interesting to her, that people that she admires and relates to do those kinds of activities. So we work hard to, one, build and identify a sense of identity or STEM identity. We work on vocabulary because another one of the major reasons that girls drop out is they don't have the vocabulary. So boys are getting the vocabulary, not so much from school, but just in what they're playing with and what they're doing. And so girls becoming in it, it's not that it's any one moment in time, it's accumulation. So over time, they don't have the vocabulary and then they feel intimidated and drop out. Similar to going to a foreign country, you don't speak the language, you feel like an outsider. Third is skills, which I think is pretty kind of self-explanatory. Most products teach skills. And then the last thing is tribe. And that is reinforcing, I've got a community of girls that I want to build with or program with because I don't want to do it by myself. And and maybe, you know, as parents, you guys experience this as well. But I have heard from, I can't even tell you, an innumerable amount of parents that say to me, oh, my God, my daughter doesn't want to be the only girl in math club or the only girl in robotics club. So everything we do kind of distills back to identity, vocabulary, skills, and tribe. And I believe that if we try to work across those four, we'll have more success in engaging girls over the longer term. That's really cool. So I'm curious now both how you are meeting those needs with the products that you're developing, and then also if you have tips for parents. Those are kind of two different paths I know we could go down. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, we are actually wrapping up our uh, National Science. We have a grant from the National Science Foundation. And part of that grant, they are looking specifically for products that develop, like, make your education for underrepresented groups. So that's the category that we fit into within our grant, within the context of our grant. And so literally right now, we are actually running, finishing up our user tests. And so when we think about, like, so we actually test for do we shift identity? Do we shift sense of confidence? Do we get vocabulary? And, you know, this is all within about a three-hour test that we run. So right now we are showing that all of our products and services, that they do do that. The question of how we do that is, so girls physically build our products. And we're, a, we're, we're room accessories or room decor that come as building kits. That comes from, I think, first and foremost, is how do you engage girls like on their terms? It's designing into their motivation. What do they want to do? What do they want to build? How do you bring technology to serve that need? So girls are highly motivated, at least the ones I come across, most of them, and boys too, for that matter. They want to decorate their rooms. So we kind of start from a place of what are they trying to do as a foundation? And then within the context of those products, so one of the things that we do is we are going to develop a line of of characters. So we're testing and working on a character that's a girl named Jewel. And she's actually a fashion engineer. So she looks girly. She wears skirts. She loves art and fashion. But she also 
is very tech centered and tech heavy. So we have, we're going to have a line of characters that goes to starting to build identity. The other thing that we are going to do is in our instructions and our videos, we will have a variety of different girls of different ages doing those videos and showing how you apply these skills, not only to build the product as a tutorial or a DIY video to help you build, but also how do you link those jobs into careers. So specifically as one example, we have a woman that is a lighting engineer at Philips. So our products, some of them are lighting and how do you do different cool lighting effects in your room? Well, we're going to do another video with a lighting engineer and she actually engineers lighting solutions for people that are visually impaired. So girls care about context, right? So one, I designed into the motivation they want to decorate their room. Girls also want building context around problem solving. Here's a way to link lighting engineering, which they're doing with our product to a longer term job offering and specifically a woman who's a lighting engineer. So that's kind of one way. And another way is all of our products, we focus on vocabulary. And so like on the electronics themselves, the girls assemble, they have vocabulary words all through them. And through our testing girls, like potentiometer as an example, right? So girls have no problem with that word. And even generally remembering it, it's an ex- becomes an exposure issue because girls feel generally strong in reading and writing. So if you can just take away the intimidation they feel around tech, the vocabulary in and of itself is not a problem. So we have vocabulary all through our products and we don't shy away from it. Everything down from to the screwdriver, we talk about them using a Phillips, like it's a Phillips screwdriver. So those are just two maybe examples of how we kind of start to, I can talk about others, but I'll just stop there. Those are kind of two examples of how we bake those in. And then I can go on to talk about tips for parents. If you want me to talk about that question, I'm happy to do that. I was going to say that the identity aspect of that really resonates with me because so I actually went to uh, like a pre-engineering STEM focused high school and had like a fabulous time teaching myself to code websites by hand back in the day with HTML and CSS and all that. But there were like two key components reflecting back on it now that kind of uh, led to me not pursuing coding on the side of things. And one definitely was on the identity side of things where I was like, oh, well, I'm really much more into science end of things, not engineering. Like that's for other people was the kind of thing. And then the other one as well, (laughs) I realized this a few years ago was like, hey, like this is really fun to build these websites Therefore, this must not be a real job that you could make money doing, (laughs) which is like a very strong. And like the thing is, both of my parents are trained in engineering. <laughs> my mother is an electrical engineer. And uh, I learned when she was considering retiring and, and trying to update her resume that she actually holds a patent from work several years ago. So for me, that just goes to show that you can have kind of environmental exposure and like very close in role models and still just like these pathways where you sort of lose some folks despite interest and like development of skills. Because I feel like there's there's a big part on this identity too of like, I am the kind of person that when I am stuck with a computer problem, I can figure out how to fix this. Like I am capable of solving problems of this kind. And Yeah, I mean, I also have other theories about, I read those articles about how, especially with younger girls, parents are often much quicker to jump in for trying to avoid physical harm to them, like climbing trees or whatever other kind of activities as you're, as you're growing up of just like, oh yeah, yeah, like the kind of like, be careful, stay safe, don't take risks. Um, and I feel like there, to me, there's a fair amount of, uh, STEM work that's essentially like 
I don't know what's going to happen. It'll probably be fine. Let me try it out kind of thing. (laughs) I don't know if you might agree with that or not. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Actually, one of the things that um, kind of along those lines, one of the things that we are looking at and we really think is important to bake into our products and we we need to figure out how to do this, we're working on it, and that is growth mindset. So I don't know how familiar this group is. Maybe you guys talk about it a lot with fixed mindset versus growth mindset. But basically, fixed mindset says that you believe you're intelligent at a certain level and it's fixed. So you're smart or you're not smart. Where growth mindset is much more of you think about your brain and your skills and your intelligence as a muscle. So much more like your muscles and your legs and you can build muscle by running. So if you want to be a marathoner, all you have to do is practice and start running and you can get yourself there. So what happens is that through the way that we socialize girls, we generally socialize girls into fixed mindset and we generally socialize boys into growth mindset. And this was a lot of research I was doing with Tufts. There's a center at Tufts University for its engineering and education outreach. And they've done a lot of work on this. And basically, if you ask and if you if you actually test men and women that go into STEM, um, the majority of them test as growth mindset. So generally, engineers are growth mindset oriented. And so the way it was explained to me was, you know, the situation with boys and girls kind of goes something like this. Uh, we'll say to a little girl, you know, she sat down and did her homework and they're like, oh, you, you know, good for you. You did it. You're so smart. Where for the boy will be like, oh, if you can just sit down for 10 minutes and apply yourself, I know you can do this. Um, <laughs> those are just kind of, yep. you know, two sure. ways that we socialize. And so, you know, solving this problem of the lack of, you know, girls and women in tech and STEM are getting girls engaged is it's complicated, right? And there's many, many things that we need to think about and adjust if we're going to kind of solve the problem. So one of those is kind of growth versus fixed mindset. And the other thing that's super interesting, I think, is that you touched upon something earlier, which is if it's fun, it can't be educational, right? And so we are really trying to marry those two things together by designing from a place of motivation for girls. So I had this little girl I was in a user test with a couple of weeks ago at her house on a Saturday. And so at the end of our testing, you know, one of the questions we ask is, what did you learn? And she she basically said, she goes, she goes, I didn't learn anything. She goes, I was too busy having fun. She goes, you know that you can't have fun and learn at the same time. And she said it as a statement of fact. And myself and my research assistant, we just started to chuckle because she had learned so much because we were testing, right? So there's other questions and things that we do. She had learned a ton, but she just didn't think about it that way. And then another interesting point is the way that girls, they get really intimidated by technology. And what's so interesting is they actually have different definitions of like programming and computer programming. This is something we've just recently stumbled upon in our research and how they define that. So there's something with, and we don't know exactly what it is yet, but we just discovered it. It's like, there's something with the language between just saying you're programming or your computer programming. We started asking them the differences between those two. And so they definitely think that there's something much more complicated and involved and scary with computer programming versus just saying programming. They still find programming intimidating, but something about when you add the word in front of it makes it even more intimidating. Kind of trying to discover what these things are is, I think, is interesting for us as we try to mitigate the different challenges. Because we're up against, like, socialization, as we all know, is a it is everywhere all the time. And I think it's just, it's really difficult to try to combat that. I mean, and poor parents that are really trying to do the right thing and and expand the possibilities for themselves, you know, for their girls. It's just a constant battle every day against the massive marketing messages they're getting from all different directions. Yeah. 
that's an amazing segue into what can we as parents do to help? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I don't have kids, right? So I've spent an ungodly amount of time with little girls over the last few years. And it's so funny because I think I've come to a place where I can kind of understand a little bit what, what might work. And I think if I could just say like one or two things that I think are really helpful, um, hopefully would be helpful is context. So in playing and creating and building, generally, little boys will build for the sake of building. They will build, knock down, build again. Girls want to know why. Like They want to know why. They want context. They build to solve, build to tell a story, build to share, build to interact, build for some reason. Oh, can I, um, can I jump I, in real quick I, with an example of this? Because what you're describing, that so hits home for me. I, I helped at the school for the Lego club. Uh, and this was for my daughter. I think she was in second grade. And at the end of Lego club, they would always have whatever they built battle. And so there was like merry-go-rounds and it would spin. And then they'd have them battle and they'd put them next to each other and see which ones would break. And all the boys thought it was the greatest. And that just was the worst. Like you could tell deep down in her gut, my daughter hated this idea of her, the thing that she just built being smashed. Right. Just <laughs> totally. Just visceral. That was a horrible thing. She was fine with carefully taking it apart and putting all the pieces away. That didn't bother her one bit, but she was just like, absolutely not. And I remember the first time I was like, come on, it'll be fun. And she was just in tears and did not want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do Whoa. Did you get them to stop doing that? <laughs> so in the instructor, one didn't really get this. Like, uh, there, there was a couple of, of girls in the thing, but it was the vast majority were boys. And he was like, yeah, yeah, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. And that was it. And that was kind of all of the service, you know, uh, being paid for, for that. And it was like, no, no, like, come on. And I wound up taking a few of the kids over. And it wasn't all girls. There was, you know, some boys that felt empathy to their creations <laughs> that didn't want to <laughs> destroy them. But I believe it was every single one of the girls there, which was, you know, a sample size of like three, but um, didn't want to have that happen. So what you were just describing, I'm sitting there going, that's what happened. <laughs> right. And it's it's kind of it's super interesting. I mean, it also and this goes all the way up the chain. So I was doing interviews at MIT for some research and talking with you know, freshman and sophomore, because this is back in the early days before I decided on eight to 12. And I remember this girl. So like it's, it's a mechanical engineering robotics class. And they have to, at the end of the semester, build a dueling robot kind of to the same point. And the girl that I was interviewing, she's like, I don't understand the point. Why do I want to build a robot to beat up another robot? She goes, it's just stupid. <laughs> I don't want to do it. There's no, like, what is the point? Like, it's just dumb. And so like, she created a glitter bot, which actually shot pink glitter onto the boys' robots and it irritated <gasps> them. So <laughs> that is so aggressive. That's so amazing. She's like, you know what? She goes, I don't really want to destroy anybody else's robot, you know? And she's like, and I don't, which, it was basically her way of saying like, you know, nan, nab, you know, back to you was, you know, you're going to make me do something I don't want to do. Well, I'm going to spray pink glitter all over your robots. Because the glitter, I mean, God, you, as you guys know, like that stuff is, it, there's glitter forever. Like it's really hard to get rid of glitter. And so I, what I would say to parents is, is if you want to get your girls building, first of all, you should build with them. Number first and foremost, building with them matters. It matters a lot and vocabulary matters. So 
when you're sitting there and if you're building with them, talk about the names of the screwdrivers, talk about the names of the different tools. Every word is one step closer to building their STEM vocabulary. And just know that lack of vocabulary is a reason that girls drop out because they don't fail to fit in. They don't have the language to fit in. And then helping them think through or like just talking to them, like, what do you want to build? So like I was actually talking to a girl the other day. I did a session actually in DC, a user test. And the little girl, I'm like, well, what do you, you know, like, you know, kind of what project do you want to do next? She's like, well, you know, I want to create like a snuggle corner, like a, like a warm, cozy corner in my bedroom. And so like, if I were talking to her parents, I would say, okay, your daughter wants to build an interesting, like this cozy corner. Like how might you talk to her about maybe building shelving around it or a platform for a beanbag chair? Or how might you think about what kind of cool lighting might you want to get into? Like you could do all kinds of stuff with lighting because you get different wattages and you get different types of lights and you can. So starting from a place of what does she want to do and starting to build into that or even starting to create a plan. So kind of along the same line of girls want to build for purpose and reason. So again, going back to Tufts University, if they're going to do a Lego building session, if you're having a mixed building session of boys and girls, what you want to do, and generally those will be like, you know, have at it, just go build. But instead of doing that, if you say to the group and you give them a piece of paper and you say to the boys and the girls, and you say, take five minutes or 10 minutes and sketch out and think about what you want to build and then have them all start building, you're going to get a very different result. Because if you let them all start building at the same time, the boys are going to start grabbing the Legos and start building where girls want to think about it and think about what they're going to build. And half the time, if in a mixed play session, the girls will end up then joining the boys because by the time they get their thoughts together, some of the pieces and parts are already taken. So giving them, and I'm kind of mixing topics here a little bit, like individual, if you're at home, then if you are actually doing a group play session, the strategy could be a little bit different. So you can give them the time to do what they want to do. They want to think and plan and kind of left to their own devices. They're going to build something more comprehensive probably because they want to think about it. So giving them the time and the place, if it's an, especially in a mixed building session to think about and plan what they want to build and then kind of have the group start together is another strategy for getting a different result than what you might get otherwise. That's so interesting to me because um, I have a little boy at home and, you know, hopefully someday he'll have some siblings and, you know, there's, there's a, a part of me certainly that's like, oh, like I really want to raise a little girl and like kind of pass on a bunch of these sorts of things. And, you know, probably the way the world works, like if I do have a girl, she'll be utterly uninterested or uh, I'll be careful <laughs> about the pressure. Right. But I love this idea of things that parents, even if you aren't raising a little girl yourself, other things you can do for raising your son or in these play dates to set things up to support everyone developing and kind of like not just your your own kid and falling into default patterns that maybe we don't want to perpetuate necessarily. Oh my God. I love that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I hadn't really thought about that. So thank you for that. Like, because one of the things we're thinking about is how do we support parents and helping those parents expand the possibilities that their little girls see for themselves. But I hadn't even thought about other people doing that. Thank you for that. That's really, that's really helpful. Well, and the, <laughs> the the difference between the girls and boys is it's very helpful to understand because as you know, as a parent of both, there's different tactics that that we have to take. And to go back to Stephanie, which you had mentioned earlier about if the boys could sit down and just focus, they do great. But something in brain chemistry between you know my daughter and my son, or or maybe it's just because they're different people. I don't know. Again, sample size of one for each. But there's absolutely 
just mechanics work different and, and, and understanding and learning that there's some strategies that work in some cases and some that don't, uh, is actually super helpful. Uh, and even if we just had a son, knowing that would be, would be good because of how we bring him up and coach him to interact in the world uh, and make sure to be inclusive and, um, work well with others. It's massively helpful. Um, I think that's one of those like challenges in parenting where on the one hand, you know, definitely a a feminist here and and, like, you know, we we shouldn't treat people differently. And then on the other living and like, okay, well, like there definitely are differences that we see over time and and which ones are ones to accept and which ones are like, we have to be very careful to resist these and not just lean in because there's history that we're inheriting that we don't want to keep going forward. And then on top of all that of the like, is a thing that I observe, like, because this is a unique person in front of me in these unique circumstances. And then how much of it is, is these patterns that we might be imposing with our expectations and, and environment around us and, and that sort of thing. I remember being astounded when I read those various studies about you have like a newborn, right? And like they're, they're very undifferentiated from each other a lot of times. You know, as soon as you dress them in a particular color or you share their name that may not be that's very clearly one gender or another like the way the characteristics that people cease to comment on like become gendered very very quickly that's totally unconscious right and this is something that we experienced with preschool so my wife and i were very against any of the like the the pretty princesses anything that was too kind of extremely you know little girlish i guess is you know something like that uh, but then we she went to preschool and now was exposed to other kids doing it. And like she took to that like immediately for whatever it was. And I was kind of stunned. I was like, wait, really? Like you like this? And it was like, this is the stuff I like. And I, and I remember being very, very taken aback. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you're not supposed to like that. We're, we, we know better. We're not going to, to force you into only thinking <laughs> yeah. about dresses like this. <laughs> Like, you know, she really liked it. And uh, and that's where, you know, I see something with, uh, you know, products that uh, Stephanie is trying to build. Like, nope, this is some stuff that we talk to and girls like. And initially I was like, oh, fashion. And I'm like, no, I got a 12-year-old. She likes that stuff. <laughs> and this is part of, like, you've touched on part of my own personal conflict with myself. Because some people will say, like, what I've learned I've learned a lot of things in the last couple of years, but one is like pink is polarizing. People love it or they hate it. I've literally had like investors and people that I've spoken with. They're like, well, you can't have that pink. Like as I act as if pink in and of itself is evil. Right. And I personally don't have a problem with pink. I like pink. It's more about what is the meaning behind that. And that, you know, and the pink and I think personally pink and, and sometimes purple get a, get a bad rap. It's really more about if I can't engage a nine-year-old girl, I have no hope of shifting the possibilities she sees for herself. So if I have to use fashion or whatever I need to use to, you know, engage her to open up those possibilities, that's kind of where I'm coming from is like, if we expand the contexts by which we engage children in STEM. So right now we have a very limited set of contexts around engaging kids, boys and girls for that matter. You know, it's largely cars, trucks, drones, helicopters, and robots. Like that is largely how we teach kids STEM through those different ways. I mean, it's starting to change. And by the way, you know, we have a problem engaging boys in STEM as well. And there are boys that don't necessarily find those small set of contexts that interesting. I mean, the problem with girls is much, much greater. So when I think about it, I 
I think about designing beyond the default. So we're trying to create more possibilities for engaging kids. And we've also started testing our, you know, the product we're working on now with boys. And I had to tell you what, I tested with a nine-year-old little boy and he loved it to the point where his dad called me like two weeks ago and he's like, Hey, can we get that thing in the house? (laughs) So, you know, so I think if with good design and thinking about it differently, we can also engage boys, but that's, the genesis and our mission is around girls. Just to all offer to the group, one other thing that I thought was really interesting for me, because I have chosen for various reasons to try to solve the lack the problem around girls in technology or in STEM. But I was giving a talk in New York City and I had, this is like, I don't know, probably two years ago. And I had this mother raise her hand and she said, where are the toys to build empathy in boys? She was like, I'm really frustrated with boys' toys because nothing, it's all about destruction. There's nothing to build empathy. And I will tell you what, I was standing there and I had this moment, I had this massive epiphany where I was like, oh my God, the like, she's right. Like I couldn't, and I literally couldn't think of one toy that was a boy's toy to build empathy, not one. And I, my next thought was, oh my God, I hope somebody is working on boys' toys. Like I'm focused and trying to research and understand at a deep level what's going on to expand the possibilities. And we need to do that. And I hope someone is doing the same thing for boys because we don't encourage empathy in boys, right? So I thought that was, and it was this mother who was really concerned about it. And so I thought that was really interesting. And we do know from research that what children play with, like if you ask men and women in STEM in college, why they're studying what they're studying, like a large percentage of them, like 68% of the men or 60 some percent of the men will say toys and games are what I played with. And the single biggest factor of why a girl uh, or why a woman went into STEM is because of some sort of intervention along the way, some professor, some parent, somebody, generally a guy brought them into it. And so that happened to me. Like my story is I went into college majoring in fashion merchandising. And if it wasn't for my computer science professor, I literally wouldn't be talking to you today. So, you know, when I think about I've chosen to work on girls, like I really hope that somebody out there is thinking about how do we build empathy in boys coming from a place of like not being a baby doll, because that's, you have to get over the social stigma of that. So how might you build empathy in boys through things that are boy centered or boy centric or meaning things that boys want to do? That's really fascinating. I was thinking, like, uh, I remember growing up and uh, being trans, you know, my uh, experience with toys is a bit different. <laughs> but I remember being very fascinated by the My Buddy toy because it was like a toy for boys that was actually a doll. <laughs> oh, interesting. I was keenly aware of, like, looking for things that I could, like, hide behind. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's a real challenge. And I have a little son now and he's awesome, but like, it's hard to find toys that aren't just like animal figures and stuff that kind of like guide empathy, especially as, I mean, he's only like three. And as he gets older, I, I, I mean, I want to make sure that he has the access and opportunity to learn all kinds of things. And I think fundamentally, that's kind of what I think uh, a lot of the, the feedback around like the pink thing and stuff. I think it's more about providing opportunity. I think for people of all sorts to play with different kinds of toys that fit whoever they are, I think, and give them the opportunity to learn the the vocabulary and the identity and things like that. So I really love that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And you raised like, also, there's an article by a guy uh, out of Stanford, it's a Stanford biology professor. And I think the other thing in my research, because I've looked at neuroscience, I've looked at biology, what is gender, like, and I think where I am now after, again, many years of research on this is... Like, I really believe that gender is a social societal construct. 
you know, you just look at Facebook, right? I mean, like it, the last when the article was published, there were something like 58 categorizations around gender, like 58. <laughs> like That is a huge number, right? So my hope around gender is that over time, we start to realize that it isn't black or white, right? And black or white. It isn't binary. It isn't male or female. And so I have just thought a lot about what that means in my research. And so we want to create products that engage kids, right? And coming from a place of deep motivation. And I, I think that as we learn more about biology and the trans movement, as awareness grows around that, I am very hopeful that we will start to break down these barriers. Because right now, I think we just live in this arbitrary world that biology is male, female, and it's it's just not. And we have a lot of unlearning to do in society around that. And I actually really think that will help. If we can break that down, that will help the problem that I'm trying to solve is kind of where I where I am now on the issue. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a massive challenge for us to unlearn that behavior because we identify gender, you know, like I read an article, um, it was again by this professor out in Stanford and it was very eye opening to me. And basically we classify race first. So we see people and we see their race first. We see their gender seconds. And these are all in milliseconds, right? But it's like in 80 milliseconds, I forget the numbers in 80 milliseconds, we classify race and in like 120 milliseconds, we classify gender. But if you actually try to decouple how you're classifying somebody, we, we can let go of race easier if we give a different way to classify you. So if you are trying to identify, you know, a black person and a white person, if you put them in yellow T-shirts, we will classify them by the yellow T-shirt first versus you're white or you're black. That same effect doesn't happen for gender. We will still always say male, female first, and then the color of your shirt, which I think is so interesting. interesting. Yeah, right. So, so, interesting. so we identify immediately race before gender, but gender is much stickier. So I think we as a society, we have a lot of unlearning to do. And as parents, I think we have a lot of unlearning to do. I was talking to a parent about and he was upset because like his, his son had a friend who wanted to change who wanted to basically start to, I think, live as a girl. And he's like, I just don't think that they should have, you know, that they're too young to make that decision. And I said, Oh, really? I said, how old were you when you decided you were a boy? And he was like, he was like I was always just a boy. So it's <laughs> like, you should have seen the look on his face when I asked him that question. I was like, <laughs> and so I just think we have a lot of, you know, myself included, I think we have a lot of unlearning to do on this topic. Yeah. Chris, do we want to move on to Genius Fail? I was just about to suggest that. So, Genius Fail, does somebody want to go first? If not, I will. <laughs> All right, so I have a, a little bit of a fail. It's not something that I controlled personally, but it's affecting <laughs> what's going on in my life a lot. The weather in the school clothings with our uh, friendly neighborhood polar vortex. And uh, here in the D.C. area, uh, the month of January had 18, I think it was 18 days that we were supposed to have school. And... 13 of those were either a uh, late start or closed. <laughs> and uh, I was talking about it and uh, with my wife this morning and she goes, Oh, I suddenly don't feel so bad for feeling like stressed out about our schedule and who's going to cover the kids and who gets to go to work. And you know, how many times can we rely on grandparents to bail us out? But that has been the source of a great deal of uh, stress and frustration in our household. Wow. And to think, like, I'm right across the river, and the D.C. school system hasn't done nearly as much. So it's weird. 
and even just the the county, the adjacent counties, and people that I work with are will will come from you know the city or Arlington County or Fairfax County or or you know Montgomery County, and they all they all will be slightly different. There's a whole conversation about the importance of the educational system in our ability to provide for our kids. <laughs> Absolutely. And buses running versus safety versus and, and the people that don't have the facility. Like my wife and I are lucky. We have we have the, the ability to handle this. It's it's an annoyance. That's not the case for everybody. 100 percent. I don't know if this is so much as a genius to fail or as it is like an insight, uh, an empathy moment, uh, perhaps, uh, given our previous conversation. So my son really loves pictures, uh, especially of his family. And he loves to look at them on my phone. He has this like picture printout in his room. And he like loves to carry it around and like show it to everybody and talks about it all the time. And I'm like, wow, why is he like so into this like printed picture? I'm just like so over printed things. Like everything's on my phone. Until eventually I was like, wait, he doesn't have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> so I went and I, I printed him a like a photo book and uh, I'm really excited to give it to him when it eventually shows up. But it was kind of more amazing that I hadn't thought about this. <laughs> so um, I think it's a really interesting thing, especially if you're trying to limit your kids access to electronics. Like they still want to engage with all of the like things that we like to engage with in our electronics. But maybe there's an offline way to do it, too. Um, I can go next. Uh, I have a bit of a fail to share, which is that Chinese New Year is next week. It's officially on Tuesday, I think, the third. We're going over to my parents Monday night to do like the big family meal and gathering beforehand. And as my parents mentioned, I was like, oh, you know, like we are very lucky to, you know, all our extended family is really generous and we have this whole we have, we have a lot of board books uh, that have been gifted to us very kindly. But I looked at the spread of what we got and I was kind of like, oh, like my side of the family doesn't tend to buy books. Like my mom just opened a savings account for my son instead. And, and that's kind of the pattern of doing things there. So I like had to have this realization of, oh, it's it's kind of up to me to try to bring in media related to the Chinese culture half for my son. Um, and so I went on Amazon, of course, and started looking for Chinese New Year related board books. And one of them ended up being a really like lovely, clear sort of photos on white backgrounds and it kind of board book called uh, Baby's First Chinese New Year or something like that. And I was like, oh, like, this is so great. It's like perfect introduction. And then I like thought about the dates a little bit more and was just like, oh, I just, this is not his first Chinese New Year. I just completely dropped the ball on the, the actual first one, but we'll just, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> he does still really enjoy it. So that's good. We'll just kind of mix it in with the other ones about Lunar New Year and whatnot. Some of them have really lovely illustrations. It's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be able to access that sort of thing. I can go next. So I mentioned that we're in the middle of user testing with girls. So last Saturday, I was in the middle of a user test and the girl builds the product and they turn it on and normally it turns on and it works. This time it turned on and it didn't work. <laughs> and so we, we, we do, usually do a little bit of troubleshooting. Well, I could not figure out what was wrong with this prototype. And thank goodness, like I keep other extra pieces and parts. 
And so I felt so bad because this little girl, you know, she's nine. I'm sorry, she's eight. And she had built this whole thing. So all this and she was great. So she basically said, I was like, I'm really sorry that this doesn't work for you. And she was so cute. She's like, well, she looked at me and she's like, that's okay. She goes, I don't mind troubleshooting. And I did not expect this little girl to use the word troubleshooting. (laughs) So so it, it all worked out okay. But it turns out all that was wrong is like on one of the electronic parts, one of the pins wasn't connecting in the right way. Like I totally, I spent like 20 minutes in this user test with this poor little girl. And it was like, Stephanie, like what, you know, it's, I guess that's just my life as a tech entrepreneur. Like every day is filled with like, I do bad stuff or make mistakes every day. And so that was one that I felt really bad about because this poor little girl had to sit there for 20 minutes and I didn't realize till I got home what the problem was. But the plus side of that is that it really made us realize that we actually need to build in troubleshooting. So through that mistake, we basically were like, wow troubleshooting really matters. And what we thought was a negative actually was a positive. So that was a fail kind of turned into a positive learning. That's so cool. Um, so one, I think, wrapping up question here, like when can we expect to see these products in stores? So we are hoping to launch later this year. Um, it will probably be more of like a pre-sale. So like in time for the, we won't have products out in the market this year, but we will start our pre-sales probably later this year, like in the fall timeframe. It's awesome. I'll awesome. look forward to it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Parent Driven Development Podcast. We love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on the air, please email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com, or you can find us on Twitter at parentdrivendevelopment. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support us on Patreon, we're at patreon.com slash parentdrivendev, or rate us on iTunes. That really does help. Thank you for listening.